This is Demetrius Hunter, and you're listening to I Am Justice, where we discuss Christianity and our God-given mandate to do justice. Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And Lord, I will be with you. Hey, I hope everybody's doing all right. This is your host, Demetrius Hunter, back with another episode of I Am Justice, where we discuss Christianity and our God-given mandate to do justice. And today on the menu, we're going to be discussing the race card. And I think that it's, uh, you know, it's always a lot of stuff going on with race, y'all. So, uh, of course, you know, and a big part of what I do is talk about issues of race In this episode, I want to talk about race as it relates to um, our political parties and and how they both uh, use race uh, for their benefit. And I think it's important because, you know, as everybody knows, or I hope everybody knows, you know, race is a consequential issue in American politics. It always has been and always will be from the inception of the country. Uh, and it shouldn't come to no surprise that both parties traffic in race politics, y'all. Now, now the Democrats, they, they'll admit as much uh, by marketing policies that could potentially have some kind of positive impact on African-American community. And, and the Republicans, they kind of they kind of have like this, this plausible deniability by arguing that they don't engage in identity politics, which that ain't true because they use race themselves but they only use it in a negative sense to, to spur uh, uh, their supporters. I mean, some people could probably argue that both parties do that. And I'm going to kind of highlight that a little bit. But the point being said is both parties use race uh, because politics is about power. And when it comes to maintaining or gaining power, you need issues to whip up the vote for a populace that might not turn out for you otherwise. And as you know, you can look at our history. Our Americans love to fight. Uh, uh, from the Declaration of Independence up until the present. So, y'all, they, they gotta, you gotta keep that same energy. And the, the masses need something to fight against. And this is what this is used for. The race card is oftentimes used to project, uh, some kind of, uh, a bad guy or boogeyman that the masses can fight against. So the Republicans and Democrats, uh, can use that to gain power and, uh, get in these elected uh, positions. First, uh, primarily, though, I want to deal with the Democrats. And I'll say this, uh, you know, just following politics and um, analyzing a lot of things that's going on uh, with the Democratic Party, y'all, there, there could be a reckoning uh, within the Democratic Party because, you know, to be quite frank, the African-American voting bloc, or, or at least the more vocal uh, a portion of the African-American voting bloc is, is terribly frustrated with President Biden's performance uh, since, you know, black people essentially say this behind when he was dead in the water in the primaries. Y'all. It, it was a point in time where he was it was looking like he was toast. But lo and behold, he got to South Carolina, got some major endorsements. Uh, the black people came out and voted for him and he won the state. And that turned his whole campaign around. Uh, it was from there that he uh, cruised 
to become the Democratic nominee uh, for the presidential race. But he has some major problems uh, in the primaries. And, and one of those major issues was the fact that people was highlighting his record on race, uh, which was why, you know, the, the, the initial draw to him was so slow. Uh, even his own vice presidential candidate criticized him uh, for his record on race. If you remember uh, one of the debates, he actually brought out uh, or implied that he supported uh, racist policies. And I want to play uh, a short clip for y'all or a few clips anyway, as they tee up their arguments talking about race. Here, here we go. We got we got Kamala uh, attacking him on his issue of race first. Check this out. And I will say also that that in this campaign, we've also heard and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also believe, and it's personal, and I was actually very, it was hurtful to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. So she teed him up. She said a couple of other things, but uh, Biden was given a chance to respond. And here's his response. It's a mischaracterization of my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true, number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when, in fact, when, in fact, when, in fact, my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King. Number one. No, number two, as the U.S. as excuse me, as the uh, uh, vice president of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it. We dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, the busing, I never you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be, we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look, everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. Now, now here's where it gets a little testy. But Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today? that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then. Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, there was a failure of of states to to integrate public schools in America. I was part of the second class to integrate Berkeley, California, public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a local decision. So that's where the federal government must step in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. 
That's why we need to pass the ERA, because That's there it. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. Now, y'all, if y'all don't understand uh, what that argument is, essentially, she's highlighting uh, the fact that there were uh, states that did not support integration. And Biden actually is admitting that his in his argument that he supported states' rights, which one of the, which was one of the linchpins uh, that was the 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 major issue with civil rights was this argument of states' rights, which that was also a major issue uh, that led to the Civil War was the idea of states' rights. So in, in America, anytime if you're familiar with American history, anytime anybody anybody is arguing about states' rights. The idea that immediately comes to mind for a lot of us is not some kind of uh, uh, ambitious uh, state sovereignty. It's the fact that when states' rights were heavily favored is that people were discriminated against uh, in very, very, very terrible ways. So Joe Biden is actually admitting in his argument that, hey, I mean, that that policy to support states' rights was actually racist. I mean, let's just let's just keep it 100. And she's bringing that out. But needless to say. Needless to say, she didn't win the she didn't win the uh, uh, primary. She had to drop out. Uh, Biden eventually made her his vice presidential nominee. So we go from all that bantering about states' rights and how Joe Biden supported races and all these kinds of things uh, to this when it was announced that he won the presidency. We did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> What a contrast. So you go from this this down and dirty debate um, to uh, celebratory stance. And I'm, I'm just doing this to, to kind of, you know, highlight the absurdity of politics sometimes. Um, but you go from that uh, to essentially uh, this. Now, <laughs> I think y'all, I think y'all get the picture of the point that I'm trying to make. So politics, it'll be all kind of crazy stuff going on and, uh, people can be, uh, sworn opponents, uh, during the primaries and during the general election, all that, all that rhetoric change. Um, it changes into something else. Now I'll have to say this full disclosure. I did vote for Biden, but I voted for Biden uh, uh, solely because I didn't want the nation to blow up on November 3rd if Trump got another term. That's just just full dis disclosure. I'm just being honest. But even with Trump, as it turned out, this brother had a, a stick of dynamite with a long fuse. And, and instead of November the 3rd, the nation almost blew up on January the 6th. But but in all seriousness, y'all, I didn't vote for Biden because of the myth that Democrats enact policy that benefit black people specifically my vote for Biden was purely because, in my opinion, we needed somebody in office that could administrate the nation off the cliff that we was hanging on. I don't like a whole lot of the policies that Biden done implemented uh, in his uh, previous terms of Senate. If you listen to some of my other uh, podcasts, you can hear me criticizing uh, some of his uh, other policies, specifically dealing with the war on drugs and uh, his, his his crime bills. Them bills was messed up. Uh, but needless to say. The, the the Trump administration wasn't a great administration as far as running the government was concerned. And I just didn't think we could withstand four more years uh, of that type of administration. But as far as the Democrats are concerned, y'all, for the primary season or the election season of, of uh, 2020, 
They they took a lot of energy from the Black Lives Matter movement and turned it into a rallying cry to get Trump and other Republicans out of office. Now, y'all, Trump, he was legally and fairly voted out. There was no voter fraud impacting that outcome. And he's still talking about the election was stolen from him. This is uh, uh, in June. He's still talking about the election was stolen from him. And the even with all that, uh, the Democratic message didn't really resonate well because the Democrats, as far as the elections were concerned, they didn't gain as many seats as they wanted to. And, and they didn't even uh, flip many state houses uh, from Republican to Democrat either. Now, the Democrats have a, a messaging problem because they people I don't think people think that the Democrats for the most part is real genuine in their concerns. Now, it's a bunch of reasons that you could go into uh, while those uh, why those uh, houses weren't flipped and they didn't get as many seats uh, as they would like. But people thought that the Trump administration was so bad that it would be some big blue wave. Um, this election, you know, you can analyze it and break it down. It's a whole lot of stuff that you could talk about. But there, there wasn't like this this gigantic uh, uh, blue wave that would totally and, and uh, demonstrably uh, make the American populace know that Donald Trump and, and his administration and the p- politicians who supported him uh, were rejected in such a way that it was made clear and plain. And since it wasn't made clear and plain, they still ride now uh, with the same type of messaging. But back to the issue of race, the the Black Lives Matter the organization, y'all, they, last year they were sitting high on the hog. And overall, that movement was used to galvanize the black vote to, to get Trump out of office by any means necessary. Now, the money was flowing in and the Democrats, they was using all that attention from the protest to their benefit. However, y'all, the, the rise wasn't a good look politically and the Republicans sought to make that an issue. Uh, and they blamed the Democratic rhetoric and policy suggestions like defunding the police for some of the riots. Now, to be fair to Biden, he, he condemned the riots and, and maybe not in the way his opponents like, but he condemned the riots. And uh, for both sides, though, y'all, in politics, the, the saying is never let a good crisis go to waste. And if it sounds cynical, it's because it is. I be- while I believe in what we can be as a nation, I'm constantly disappointed with the lack of integrity that our politicians show. And you could take somebody like Ted Cruz, for instance. He he went from or he don't went from uh, being a, a clean cut conservative attorney uh, turned senator. And now when he out on the campaign trail, this brother be looking like Grizzly Adams. And it's, it's just all a political performance. And that's that's what the spirit of the age is calling for in the Republican Party. They want a, a tough guy that can fight. And that, that's why the people like Trump. And nevertheless, last year was a good year for the, the Black Lives Matter organization and their messaging as it benefited Democratic nominees, at least those in, in swing districts. But lo and behold, after the election, the organization couldn't even get a meeting with President-elect Biden, which frustrated them. But at the same time, this should show you what the Democrats, what the Democrats are about. And, and, and people was mad at Ice Cube for demanding to speak with both candidates about issues in the black community before pledging any kind of support. I, I'm not really mad at that. I, I think uh, when you're dealing with politics, you have to learn how to make deals and not just throw your support uh, around people that, that ain't making promises and, and not fulfilling them. Uh, but last winter, even with the Black Lives Matter movement or the movement for black lives, I should say, the organization, it started to crack. And I'm going to talk more about uh, that uh, at another time on another podcast. Uh, but suffice it to say, 
uh, for all that grandstanding and committed support for Biden, the movement for black lives couldn't even get a meeting with him before or after the election. And now we have the frustration in the black community mounting on the Democrats because they want them to move an agenda that includes direct legislation for black people. We're going to see what the midterms and the next presidential election reveals about which way the tide is going to turn for uh, African-Americans in the Democratic Party. But unlike Bill Withers, African-Americans are not going to keep saying, use me until you use me up. Them days is long gone. And if they 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 not long gone, they're going to be gone pretty soon. Now, if the Democrats use Black Lives Matter, uh, the Republicans were were kind of like the anti-Black Lives Matter. Now, they came out strongly against uh, the riots, and it appeared, although a, a heavily criticized investigation recently stated otherwise, that President Trump's team even cleared some peaceful protesters that showed that he was the, the God and country candidate. Y'all know he's trying to appeal to a certain certain group of people, but... I think it looks like it's, uh, it's almost like the idea is you, you got to stop those peaceful protesters before they turn into gremlins when the sun sets. But Trump said many things that are considered dog whistles or or language that arouses the racialized senses of white Americans. For for example, uh, when he was campaigning last year and he would say things like protecting the suburbs and just just yelling and tweeting out law and order. Y'all law and order has been known to be a dog whistle that means controlling black people with force and it's a strategy that was first introduced by richard nixon when he ran for president now some people in denial because the direct uh racist words aren't publicly used but you don't got to use them what what happens with racism is is that it, it morphs and changes with the system so for instance when black men were given the right to vote with the 14th Amendment, since it there were a lot of loopholes and everything wasn't clearly defined and laid out, racist people just made new rules to make it harder for black people to vote. It's, it's not like they were saying they couldn't vote. They just made rules to make it harder for black people to vote, like making people recite provisions of state constitutions and asking for uh, uh, asking them to name the number of, of judges uh, in a state or federal judges in a state or asking silly questions like how many bubbles are in the bar soap and all other kind of silly things. Now, what we see here is that when laws make discrimination illegal, the sinful racist heart found an alternative path to exercise that hate because hate is like water and it's always going to follow the path of least uh, resistance. But here we are in 2021 with the run up to the 2022 election cycle and Republicans, like typical politicians say, when all else fails, they're they're leading with race. And this is evident from the consistent chance of CRT being the greatest threat America has faced. Mind you. Now, the people who believe in conspiracy theories and the election being stolen just actually five months ago tried to overthrow the government. This was five months ago. But since it was mostly folks of a certain persuasion, they're not deemed as a threat at all. It was like, as some people say, a a self-guided tour of the Capitol. But CRT is the threat. Yeah, five months ago, they tried to overthrow the government. It's mind boggling to me how we just done moved on in America. But critical race theory, uh, which is this theory that it's a legal theory that that postulates um, how 
uh, America, the American law, uh, is created in a way that it perpetuates, uh, racism. And that's essentially in a nutshell. Uh, but now that, that, that theory is being used, uh, to, is being used as an emotional draw to bring Republicans out to vote. But what we're seeing now with this CRT stuff is beyond reason. And, and, and here again, we have the fear of true historical analysis and an honest telling of American history. This stuff is now being deemed un-American. And to my knowledge, critical race theory does not teach that all white people are racist. And if it did, that that would be a lie anyway. I don't even support that idea because it's 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 not true. All people, all white people, are not racist. That's that's crazy. Now there are some people that believe that, but uh, I don't believe that. And I think a majority of people who even use CRT or teach CRT, I'm not necessarily a proponent of CRT because I don't have to defend CRT. CRT is not scripture. CRT is not the Bible. Um, CRT is, is, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a secular idea, uh, trying to explain, uh, uh, legal, uh, issues and law in the United States and, and the, the racist, uh, implications of law in the United States. So, I mean, use it for what it's worth, but that, that, that ain't my bone to fight here. You know what I'm saying? That ain't, that ain't what I'm trying to do. Uh, but I can say this. If talking about American history, makes you feel indicted as a white person. That's an internal struggle that you need to wrestle with because it's history. It's it's not like people are lying. We're talking about history. Now, Chris Rufo, he's a conservative act, conservative activist, and he tweeted what the agenda was with CRT. And, and sadly, people, they don't even care. He said this about critical race theory. We have successfully successfully frozen their brand, uh, quote unquote, critical race theory into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that broad category. The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. We have decodified the term and we'll recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are popular with that are unpopular with Americans. So what he's saying is when he talks about decodifying it, that means he's actually changing it from what the original intention was and, and remaking it into what they need it to be to draw out this, this, this negative perception to uh, use this as an emotional draw to get Republic, the Republican base to respond in a way to get them out to vote. This is essentially what this is. This is all, all leading to. So now you got states that's, that's talking about banning critical race theory. You got senators that's talking about banning critical race theory. They even bringing this stuff up in uh, congressional hearings as well. Here's a short clip, uh, where you got, uh, General Mark Milley, the ch- chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff being questioned about critical race theory. And here's his response. And it is important that we train and we understand, uh, and I, I want to understand white rage and I'm white and I want to understand it. So, what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? What caused that? 
I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders now and in the future do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend? And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. Now, he pretty much made it plain that there is there is nothing wrong with looking at these theories. And, and uh, he even he is interested in understanding, like, what's going on in the country. So you, you can't shut these things out and and. Unlike people that have an open mind, you even have instances where uh, Donald Trump, uh, when Chris Rufo actually first came on the scene after he had wrote several papers about the subject, um, used him as an advisor to uh, ban critical race theory in the, the training of uh, uh, federal employees and things like that. And you got uh, people showing up in, in school districts talking about banning critical race theory and um, you know, <laughs> it, it's crazy how this stuff is, is, uh, it's just spreading like wildfire all over the country. And when the, the idea that teaching American history, like the whole American history, I'm not separating black history from American history because this is American history. When you talk about what happened to black people as well at the hands of white racists, Y'all, when you teach that, that don't mean that you teaching people to hate the country. So it's not like teaching history isn't teaching people hate y'all. I think that's actually our history curriculums right now is like full of propaganda that aid in the worship of America. You know, you be 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 unashamed about American history, but tell the whole story. You know, even in thinking about this, y'all, you you say you're a Christian and we read the Bible. And the Bible is pretty honest about everything. The Bible don't hold up everything just so, you know, it can make certain people look good or make certain nations look good. No, it tells the whole truth. And we should be able to handle the whole truth of what happened in our history without automatically thinking that telling that story means people hate the country. That's not any that's not true at all. Now, if Republicans had any sense, they could offer real solutions and legislation uh, for black people. But, you know, I tend to think that a lot of Republicans don't really think they need black people because they refuse to engage in any meaningful outreach instead of instead of engaging any meaningful outreach and uh, uh, offering ideas. They just want to rig elections to stop people from showing up to vote. And that's just <laughs> we're still dealing with the same stuff over and over again. Like, you know, come on, y'all. But this is what they do. Instead of outreach, they they got people like Candace Owens and Brandon Tatum and and Jesse Lee Peterson out here. These people ain't gonna get the message and done if if Republicans want to reach out to black people. They not gonna do it. Uh, but I will say, and I say this with all honesty, a lot of people who are more Democrats probably probably who are more Democratic wouldn't like this statement. But I think there needs to be competitiveness for the vote in the African American community. Because it is taken for granted by the Democrats, y'all, and that's just true. Um, you know, so I'm I'm not opposed to there being uh, African Americans in all parties because I I just you can't you can't just 
uh, ride with one party and that one party just take you for granted and you never getting anything tangible uh, from that party. But that's that's just my thoughts. You know, like it, leave it. It don't really matter. Now, that's just my thoughts. And I say all that to highlight that it's, it's an abundance of evidence that shows that race plays well for both parties. It just plays in different ways. And, you know, if we can look at the reality of our political system and how it's set up, really, you can look at this with a, a, a multitude of areas in our society. But my question is this. Why allow politicians to determine who or what we should fear when it's evident that they are seeking to emotionally manipulate us to maintain power? And y'all. We got some serious internal work that we have to do as a people in this country. And that's why it's so easy to manipulate uh, us as people. Uh, it don't matter what group, what group you come from. But we got some serious internal work that needs to be done in order to stop these types of things from happening. And, you know, I got to leave y'all with, with a little bit of scripture. You know what I'm saying? I got to get y'all a little bit of something. Because when I think about this conversation, I think about why why are we uh, involved in the political process in the first place? And I think that we are involved with the political process because we all want to live in peace. We all got some kind of idea of what it takes uh, uh, to use the power of our government so that we can live in peace with one another. And that's, 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 you know, the sticking point right there. This, this quest, this drive to live in peace, to live in comfort, it, it causes us to make decisions, uh, that would put us at odds with what it means to be brothers and sisters in the Lord. It puts us at odds with what it means to be un unified under the banner of the gospel. Now, in John 14, Jesus is talking about sending the Holy Spirit and also leaving us with peace. And he says, uh, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father, but the father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise up and let us go from here. So Jesus recognized that the, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, he's coming. He's coming to influence. But guess what? He could not influence Jesus because there was nothing internally within Jesus that could allow him to be influenced by the powers of darkness. Jesus was totally dedicated to the father. And that's what um, that, that's one of my missions is to get Christians to really think about like who are we totally dedicated to who are we uh, totally committed to to where the world 
whether it's power, whether it's issues of money, whether it's issues of, of comfort, none of these things can have such an influence on us that it causes us to do things that runs contrary to what God would have us to do uh, according to scripture. That That's my point. That's, that's what we need to understand. So we can't let ourselves continue to be manipulated like this. So when politicians come trying to arouse some inherent fear or anxiety that we have towards one another, we don't have to listen to that. Or I'll say it in a different way. When politicians come trying to arouse some uh, uh, some type of hatred or, or anger or some kind of malice that we have towards one another, we don't have to listen to that. And, and, and what I'm trying to do is, because again, I'm, I'm referencing this internal work that, that we all need to do. But I'm trying to appeal to the Holy Spirit within any of my listeners, y'all. We, we don't have to bow the knee to those in power. And we don't have to hate one another because a politician knows what it takes to get a conditioned response from us. Y'all, we could do better than that. So that's, that's the word that I got um, for us as the church y'all we ain't gonna get we we won't get peace from the promises of politicians who represent the world or or christian politicians who love power so much that they're willing to compromise the truth we can only get peace when we take up our cross and be sanctified out of the godless culture that this american society is so i'm calling for us all to calibrate our internal compasses and follow the true north of god that's that's the way that leads to true peace so y'all i thank y'all for tuning in and uh i i, I hope this brings uh, some kind of insight and i do want to ask that if you if you like uh the podcast if you like this content that i'm putting out please share the podcast and just tell somebody else uh a, a share goes a long way uh, a review also goes a long way uh if you're listening to us on uh or if you're listening to me on uh apple podcast or anything like that so please spread the word um i'm looking to get that kind of assistance if you got any questions again you can always hit me up at iamjustice.church at gmail.com and uh, you can hit me up on the facebook page as well again keep your eyes open got a great uh project that i'm about to that i'm about to launch that i I think uh, will be of interest uh, to many of y'all uh that listen and check me out so uh i look forward to uh uh, dropping another podcast and and y'all checking it out so be easy out there in them streets and remember dominate the vote don't let it dominate you peace